All right. We are in a series called The Verse That Changed Everything. And we've been having different people come and open God's word and share with us. And this morning, Pastor Quentin Steef is going to be speaking to us. And Quentin started, planted a church in West Des Moines, Iowa, 33 years ago. And he started Valley Church. And about three years into that ministry, he added a couple of associates. And remarkably, those three guys have been together for 30 years. Um, ministering in that church. And that church has gone from a handful of families when they planted it to 35,000 on uh, any given weekend. Um, And their church ministers to the community in such great ways. They've got 150,000 people in their community that come through every year. Um, Quentin, during that 33 years, has been a friend of Mike Andrus and Bill Jones and Adam and is a friend of First Free And we just met today, but I'm counting you as a friend. So please welcome Pastor Quentin Steve, my new friend that I just met. Well, great. It is great to be in St. Louis. It really is. Uh, You know, I'm a Midwesterner, and it's just great to be here. And we got... uh, you know, as, as, as by the way, happy birthday to Bill Jones. Uh, he, you know, that, that's pretty good. He's an old friend. And, uh, and Pastor Adam, you know, we've gotten connected. We got to know each other. We're friends. And guys, um, when he asked me to say, hey, look at this date. Would this be possible for you to speak here at First Free? And I said, well, you know, let me see if the date's open. If, if the date's open, I can almost certainly do it. And if the Cardinals are in town, then I definitely will do it. So last night we came and my, my daughter and son-in-law and a friend, we came, we went to the Cardinals game. I love baseball. Does, does anyone else here love baseball? Raise your hand. Yeah, we love baseball. This is a baseball town. This is a baseball town. And the game started two hours late because the rain and everything. Very pleasant though. The stands were full. There's 44,000 people there. It was amazing. Cardinals came up a little short, but it was still a great night of baseball and I love baseball. The other day, guys, um, uh, actually two weeks ago, I was in another great baseball town, and that baseball town is called Tokyo, Japan, all right? So I was in Tokyo and doing some speaking and so forth, and they said, you got to go to a baseball game, I love baseball. So I went to the Tokyo Dome. It was amazing, Uh, and the Tokyo Giants are playing Yokohama, and it was a huge rivalry, and they're going after each other. Huge crowds. The Tokyo Dome was almost completely full. There were 40,000 people there. And guys, what I want to say is it was kind of a combination of like AAA level baseball, but really excited in a kind of college football, Alabama, Auburn atmosphere. I got a little clip of the fans cheering. Check it out. just crazy stuff you know it's like I did, I walked in there kind of skeptical it's like you know I'm an American baseball fan what's this Japanese going to be like and it's like oh, okay we'll see this should be interesting and man I, I went from one side to the other. it's like I love this this is amazing I've become a Japanese baseball fan just like that and today I want to talk to you about that um, not about Japanese baseball but I want to talk about how we can help people 
who are maybe, in, in terms of the Christian faith, a little skeptical or kind of reluctant or maybe even oppositional. How can we help them move from that end to over here where they're considering it and then finally where they come to say, I, I embrace this, I love this, I'm a raving fan, I love Jesus and I love his church. How, how does that process happen? Because it's getting tough out there, guys. There's, there's a lot of skeptics and, 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 and critics and there, there's been a lot of reasons why people are like, yeah, yeah, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm getting away from it. How do we change the conversation? How do we change the world? Everybody wants the world to change. The culture has its ideas of how they like to change the world. You know, here's how we can change. If we do this, we do this, we do this. They, they, they have in mind some kind of a utopia. I saw a commercial about this. Check it out. Well, we did it. We sealed the bad out and the good in. Take a second and look around you. Go ahead. We have everything we've always wanted. We'll want for nothing. Excuse me. I really love it here. Thank you. Um, we have all these beautiful avocados from Mexico, but where are the chips? I'm sorry? Oh, the chips. The chips are outside. Why are they outside? The chips are outside! I want a Chris Elliott autograph. Hi. Wi-Fi's down. No, 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 no. Avocados from Mexico. Can we give a cheer? Come on, yeah. You know, it's, there's all these utopian dreams, but they're just not working out. And, and they can't work out. But the world doesn't know. The world doesn't have a clue about the culture. has its ideas, and some of them might even be good, but some of them are off, off, off pace. But the scriptures have an idea. And they have the truth. And so God's people are called to make changes in the world. God's people are called to help people move from darkness into light, right? Why are you here today? Well, why are you even sitting here today? Why am I here? Well, why don't you make your way to 1 Peter chapter 2? And um, I want to take you to this book, 1 Peter. The, the Peter, the apostle, starts out introducing the book and gives us a little clue of why we might be here in this world. And it's, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's chosen strangers scattered among the peoples in various places. And those three words, chosen strangers scattered, is who we are. We're God's chosen people, chosen by God to be part of his forever family. We're strangers here. People don't understand the values that we have. They don't get why we believe what we believe. We're unusual here. We're temporary residents and we're scattered. God has strategically placed us and scattered us into various neighborhoods and workplaces and communities to make a difference. That's why I'm here. What's our purpose anyway? What difference could you make? Why has God placed you in the time and the place and the space in which you live? Today, I want to talk to you about uh, this idea. And I, I call this message, Good Works, Good Will, Good Neighbors, Good News. All right? Now, in this passage, we're going to go to one passage, uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, and we're going to focus in on the last verse at the end, which is the verse that changed everything for me. 
And in this passage, short little passage, the apostle Peter packs in a lot of principles in a very short space. Please forgive me, but the apostle Peter packs a peck of powerful principles. How many powerful principles does Peter pack? And the answer is seven I'm gonna give to you today, all right? The first principle, let's look at uh, verse nine. But you, that's us, you're a chosen people. You're royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God or declare the praises of God, some verses say. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Out of the darkness into his wonderful light. First principle is this. Most people you know and meet are walking around in the dark. That's just the way the world is. Even with all the warnings around us, most people pay no attention. They just manage as best as they can, but we're walking in darkness just in our natural state. We live in a dark world of nations and peoples because most of the world has rejected Jesus, the light of the world. And so as a result of this, we've got to look all around us and try as hard as we can. We have tragedy, we have brokenness, we have impurity, we have evil, we have polarization, we have all sorts of sin against one another, helplessness and hopelessness. Woody Allen wrote, the Hollywood director wrote this. He said, more than any other time in history, mankind faces a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness. The other to total extinction. Let us pray we have the wisdom to choose correctly. So it's this very pessimistic way of looking at the world. It's like, here's total extinction, here's utter despair and hopelessness. Choose wisely. But the gospel, the scriptures have something better than that, way better than that. Here it is. Our high calling, here's the second principle, is to tell the night and day difference that God has made for us. In a world of darkness, we've experienced this wonderful light. We sang earlier, when, I, when all I see is the ashes, you see the beauty. And that God calls us to see that. He says about me and you and about this church and about all those who name the name of Christ, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Now, you know, a lot of people, it's become fashionable in a lot of circles to really bash the church and point out all of its inconsistencies and evils and wrongdoings, and I totally get it. I've been a pastor for 35 plus years. I get it. Church has issues. I get it. I know it. Believe me. But... The church is still the bride of Christ. The church is still beloved. And the church, he says about us, what we have to believe, God speaks the truth into our hearts. You are a chosen people. You are a, whole, you're a royal priest. You're a holy nation. God's very own possession. You're special to him, he says. And I wanna just encourage you today to the church here at First Free. Believe that. Believe what God says about you. And live to that. We are his church. God has chosen you to represent him in this world of darkness. So a lot of people are like, well, you know, we're not really that great. I'm not really that good. I can't really make a difference and so forth and so on. I was like, no, no, no. That's all. Read the scriptures. We are the champions, my friends. And we'll keep on fighting to the end. Sing it with me. We are the champions. We are the champions. No time for, okay, that's enough. But you get the drift of this. Lift up your head, church. 
Believe what Jesus says about you and live to that. And when we fall in short, admit it, confess it, and move into the light. That's what it's all about. That's what's going to make a difference in 2023. He has chosen you to make him known in this world. And what can you do? You show his goodness. You declare his praises is another translation. And what are you going to show and tell? What are you going to show and tell is that you were once in darkness. Talk about the darkness you used to be in. And then you talk about the light that you're now in. You're walking, one translation, walking in wonderful light. Here's a diagnostic question for everybody here. People overhear you talking. They overhear your conversations. Let me ask you this question. Do the people listening to you think that you think you live in wonderful light? Do the people listening to you think that you think that you live in wonderful light? They may not think you live in wonderful light, but they listen to you talking. And I was like, this guy's a nut. He's a Jesus freak, but he thinks he walks in wonderful light. They think that you think that because they may not agree yet, but they at least believe that you believe that about your, your there's, and there's some life to reflect that. There's a joy, there's a peace, there's a, there's a hope, there's a love that's there, and it makes a difference in the way you live your life. And so we're called to shine this light. Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Sometimes we're afraid. We know that that's our calling, but we're afraid to do it because you know it's scary and people might reject us and we don't wanna, it's a lot of work, it takes time and all that. I understand that. My, um, I grew up in a big Catholic family, big Catholic family. I am so grateful for my mom and dad giving me the foundation of faith that I had. But I, uh, we had seven kids, you know? And uh, sadly, uh, my mom and dad split up when I was a young boy, I was three years old. And my mom became a, a single parent of seven kids, ages two through 14. It was a tough deal. So everybody had to pitch in, everybody had to help. Mom was working two, three jobs, we were all doing stuff, but I was a little one, right? And so mom from time to time would announce, okay, it's chores time, time to do our chores. And oh, everybody kind of pitched in and everything, but not me. I wanted to go run and hide because I didn't want to do it. So I, there was this little closet in our, in our house growing up in. And I would run in the closet, and I would hide in the closet, I'd pull the clothes back on me, and I would just hide in this dark closet so no one could find me. And I thought, no one will ever find me here. Are you kidding? My mom's a single parent of seven children. She knows every nook and cranny of that entire home, hands down, and she knows how kids do things. And she knew me. So she comes looking for me, and she opens up the closet door, and she says, Quentin, you come out of here. Come out of that closet. Come out here. Join the team. And she wasn't scolding me as much as she was inviting me to experience what families do. Families work together. Families are called to love each other. Families are called to help each other out. That's what we do as the church. And she says, come on out. Out of that darkness, come into the light. Wasn't scolding me, was inviting me. And I, I loved my mom and my brothers and sisters and the experience we had growing up, we got to experience that together, as difficult as it was sometimes. So you're the light of the world. Really? That's what Jesus says about you. Turn to your neighbor and said, you're the light of the world. Go for it right now. And, you, and it's right, it's biblical, it's scriptural. You know what? Come back, okay? It's just like that great theologian by the name of Katy Perry once said, baby, baby, you're a firework. Come on, show them what you're worth. Make them go, oh, 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 as you shoot it across the sky, I, I, right? Now, Katie might have a few issues here and there, 
But she nailed it on this one. You are a firework. You are to shine your light. You are to be something special and different in this world. So shine your light. I, met, I gave this message a while back, and a 10-year-old girl wrote me this note on her little card and turned in. And the passion, I, I just prayed for this for myself. She, write, she wrote, Pastor Quentin, tell me how I can change the world. I am dying to know how I can change the world. Would that all of us would be saying that. I'm dying to know how I can change the world. Here's another principle. See, scripture says we were nobodies, but now we're somebodies, and we're not just anybody's, we're God's. We belong to him now. He says in verse 10, once you had no identity as a people, you really didn't belong anywhere, but now you are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, you didn't know about the love of God, you didn't know about the mercy of God, but now in Christ you do. You are now, you have received God's mercy. So you're not a nobody, you're a somebody, you're not just anybody, you're God's. He says to you, I love you so much, I gave my one and only son for you. And you're not a nobody, you're mine. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I have plans for you. No matter what's happened in your life, what you've done wrong, doesn't matter. You're mine. You believe it. And when we believe it and truly believe what God's promises are to us, then we don't have any more excuses to say, well, I can't do this, or I can't make a difference, or I can't shine my light, or I can't help this person to walk from darkness to light. No, that's not true. See, because we're not playthings. We're not just playthings of our, our circumstances or our gene pool, right? Don't buy into all that. It's my genes, it's my background, it's my third grade teacher who criticized my art project. No, I'm not responsible. It's forces beyond my control. I'm an adult child of parents with low fiber diets. Whatever. We all have reasons why we should be basket cases, right? I've got mine, I got issues, you got issues. All God's people got issues. But you know what else we got? We got Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit living within us. So you're the people of God now. Quit believing anything else, all right? My wife, her name is the awesome Ruth Steve. Her name is Ruth, but I always have the awesome Ruth Steve. I've said this for decades. We've been married for 40 years. My wife and I are journeying through a uh, current four-year battle. She has bone cancer. And uh, she's doing well. She's feeling good, she's getting treatment, but we're walking through that together. And I wanna tell you something about my wife. She's awesome. And she is a joyful person. And nothing gets her down. She's, of the last four years, she's spent four months in the hospital. She's spent 10 months in a wheelchair. She's had to learn how to walk again two, three times. And she's still getting treatment. And we're trusting God. But in the middle of all of that, we said, you know what? We, when this thing, whole thing first started, we said we don't want our joy and our peace and our love to be grounded in the next doctor's report or in the next scan results. We want our joy and peace to be grounded in something that cannot move or change. And the only thing that we know of is Jesus Christ. He's yesterday, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we live with that, we're not perfect. We're not in denial, by the way, either. We've been doing this for four years. It's a real deal. We get it. 
but we're happy. We actually are. We're happy people. We're joyful people. And something I can tell you folks also, I'm throwing this in for free today. I didn't mention this at, at whatever time the other service was. What, 6.30? Whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> but everything that I have, I told our, our church family this, everything that I have believed and taught for 35 years, I can say with confidence, it's absolutely true. This stuff is true. We have seen God show up. We have seen God work in remarkable ways. And he's everything that he promised he would be for me, for my wife, and for you. So just take that as encouragement today. He's there for you. We don't want to be paralyzed by the things that, 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 uh, that have happened to us or, or, or shut down by the things that have happened to us. Instead, we want to bask in the mercy of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How in the world did I end up here today? How did I end up here today? Because if you had told me when I was 16 years old that someday, Quentin, someday you're gonna be the pastor of an evangelical church in Des Moines, Iowa, you know what I would have said? I would have said, that sounds like a nightmare. That sounds like the worst thing that could ever happen to somebody. I really would have. I said, wow, one of those Jesus people? Really? I offer, you know, I believe in Jesus and all that, Christ, and, you know, I was a good, good church kid. But it's like, no way am I going there. Are you kidding me? How did I end up here? Well, it's funny how God works. I, I'll tell the story of how I actually came to faith in, in, in a few minutes. But, but I, I had come to faith in Christ, and I was uh, about 19 or 20 years old. And I'm a student at Indiana University. And I'm pursuing becoming an attorney. My two oldest brothers are attorneys. That's where I'm going there for. And I'm minding my own business. I'm in this uh, class of 500 students, ancient history taught by Dr. Rufus Fears. He's the most popular professor on the campus. And he's talking. And he's saying, you know, and he would always goad students on. He wanted to goad them on to greatness. He said, let me tell you about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, by the age of 23, had conquered most of the known world. And what do you spend your afternoons doing? Some of you are 23 years old. What do you spend your afternoons doing but eating Doritos and watching the Brady Bunch? What are you going to do with your lives? He called us. And one day, he, I didn't know he, this man was a believer at the time, but I found out later he is. Um, he, um, he was talking. And he says, you know the problem with students these days? You know the problem? He goes, that none of them believe that what they believe is the truth. None of them believe. What they believe is the truth. There's only two. Uh, there's only two people on this entire campus that believe that what they believe is the truth at Indiana University. And you know who those two people are? And we said, "Who?" He said, "Our basketball coach, Bobby Knight." It's my way or the highway. He goes, "You may not like Bobby Knight, or you may love him, but he believes that what he believes is the truth." And the other person on the campus that believes what he believes is the truth is Max. And when they said Max, oh, we all laughed. Because Max was the Pentecostal hellfire and brimstone street preacher who yelled at people. He was really harsh, called people names. If you listen really hard, you might hear about the love of God, you know, every once in a while. But he was just harsh, and people laughed about him and make fun of him. And so when he mentioned that name, everyone laughed. And he said, you can laugh at him. And by the way, I actually found some footage of Max. Would you like to see it? Here's Max on the campus in the 80s. Oh, man. 
idea. So people are saying, oh yeah, Max. He goes, well, at least he has the guts to stand up for what he believes in. He says, is there even one person here today who says that what they believe, they believe what they believe is the truth? And I'm sitting there as a new Christian thinking, was that a rhetorical question? <laughs> or am I actually supposed to answer that? And so I hesitated and I was afraid. So I said nothing and no one said anything. And he said, just as I thought, nothing but wimps. You're all cowards. Class dismissed. He was, there was a joke behind it, but there was a little barb to it too. I went back to my dorm room. I got on my knees and I confessed to the Lord. I'm so sorry, Lord. I had an opportunity to share that I just believe in Jesus with 500 of my peers and I failed you. I just said nothing. Please, God, would you please forgive me? And God, if you ever give me that opportunity again, I will not let it pass, I promise. Well, I found out that day that God hears those prayers. I also found out that God has a terrific sense of humor. Because about two weeks later, I'm walking through campus, minding my own business, but I'm coming up and there's Max. And there's like 300 people all around Max and he's doing his Max thing. And they're call, he's calling them names and they're calling him names and everybody's laughing and everybody's going after each other. And finally, one student yells out, Max, you're a fool. He said, you better believe I'm a fool. First Corinthians 4.10, we are fools for the sake of Christ. And then he said, and I wonder today, if there's even one more fool for Christ in this crowd. And I said, oh no, Lord, not Max. <laughs> he said, somebody who's not afraid to stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I was like, okay, God, a deal's a deal. A promise is a promise. So I, I very gingerly raised up my hand, hoping he wouldn't see me. But Max is an evangelist, so of course, I see that hand. He comes straight over to me, he gets right in my face. He said, are you born again of the Holy Spirit? I said, yes. Have you believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes. Have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? I said, yes. He said, then get up here and give these people your testimony. <laughs> what? Me, me. I never taught a Sunday school class in my life. What are you talking about? I don't even have a Bible. He says, use mine. He handed me the biggest King James Bible. And I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? Because I thought to myself on that day, I'm not the kind of person that gets up in front of crowds and talks about God. It's just not me. That's not what I do. I found my way to a passage in Philippians and in the King James, and I read, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And I read the passage, and then I, my, I was sweating. I saw people I knew. I mean, I was just so afraid. My knees were uh, shaking. I, I was like, how can I do this? And I told my little story of how I'd come to faith in Christ and how one day I'd finally understood the grace of Jesus in the cross and I, I knew I couldn't earn my way to God and I trusted in Jesus. I told them that story and it took about three minutes and then I was done. And no one on earth has ever been more relieved 
than I was at that moment. I said, I'm done. I survived. I'm still here. And then the strangest thing of all time happened. Someone in the crowd raised their hand and said, hey, hang on a second. I got a question. You're looking at me? You're looking at me? Yeah, yeah, I got a question. He asked me a question. And it's like, you know, when the Bible says, don't worry about what you're going to say when they bring you before everyone because the Holy Spirit will give you the words. That's exactly what happened in that moment. Because there is no way what I was saying was from me. I, I remembered a few Bible verses and I was saying things and he was making a little bit of sense and, and I was sharing that with them and they were listening. And then another person raised her hand. Hey, I got a question. I said, okay, take it on. And another person, I got a question. Okay, okay, take it on. And I'm, I'm fielding questions from this, this college student crowd. And, and Max leaves. He walks away. I said, Max, where are you going? He says, you're doing fine. And, and he walks off and I'm left with 300 hostile college students all by myself. And what was most amazing was I, I managed by the grace of God to somehow field questions from angry, hostile college students for a full hour. And then they began to disperse. And I said, what in the world just went down? What just happened? And a few of my friends had stopped and they said, hey, you know this, encourage me. And I said to myself, you know, Maybe I am the kind of person who gets up in front of people and talks about God. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And from that day forward, I was on a different path. Being an attorney was a noble calling, but God had something else for me and he called me to do this. I got dragged into it. I didn't want to do it. I was basically called to ministry by an ancient history professor at Indiana University and a hellfire and brimstone Pentecostal preacher against my will in both situations. But God, he'll use you if you just say, okay, I'm in, I'm in. Are you in? Are you willing to say, God, please use me? You're not gonna be, most of you are never gonna be called to be a pastor, but all of us are called to shine our light, to love our neighbors, to be extraordinary in the way that we live, live our lives so that we influence other people. Here's the fourth principle. You cannot make a difference if you are no different. So you start by saying, live this exemplary life. He says, dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Our lifestyle should be out of this world, not like everybody else. We don't do what everybody else does. We are temporary residents. This isn't our permanent home. We are sojourners. We are traveling through this world. We are also, he says, foreigners or strangers. That means our world is not going to get us. Our culture is not going to understand us at all. Our ways, our beliefs, our experiences, they're not going to understand it. Get used to it. That's who we are. There's no problem with that. In fact, we should expect that. Instead of getting angry with them, we said, yeah, okay. I get it. I'm a stranger here. You don't understand my ways. That's okay. He says, but keep away from those things that war against your soul. So not escaping or isolating yourself, but make sure you don't. You know, in some cultures you go to, they say, don't drink the water. Peter's saying to us, don't drink the water. Because the water, some of that water is going to start a civil war within your mind. And, and you've got to be careful of that stuff. And you know those things that kill your soul. He says, stay away. This means to voluntarily hold yourself back. To freely choose, I'm going to do without that. Even though, you know, a lot of people would say otherwise. There's a lot of soul-killing stuff out there, guys. 
revenge, anger, lust, porn, selfishness, greed, fear, worry, defeat, dishonesty, all those things. He says, just keep your distance. Keep your distance. By the way, is it just me or is that like a lot of hard work? It's really hard. And I want shortcuts. I want shortcuts. It's like this, uh, this ad I saw. Check it out for weight loss. We got it? Oh, here. Oh, it's over here. In only one month, you can do it too. Oh, yeah? Photoshop courses, the best tool to change your body. I want shortcuts. I don't want the hard work of doing that. But he says, it's going to take some work on your part. So ask God for help. Here's another principle. A really good life is a really good influence. This is, my, this is the verse that changed everything for me. At least it was somebody else living this verse that changed everything for me. Be careful, he says, to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Now, it's hard to translate. It's pretty straightforward. It's, it's be careful to live a good life, like live good. And some translations say live such a good life among your unbelieving neighbors or an exemplary life. It's hard to translate, but that's what it is getting at. So live this extraordinary life, not just average, like different than everybody else. Your love, your compassion, your peace is not like everybody else's. It's different. Then, if you do that among your unbelieving neighbors, like you're actually rubbing shoulders with them, talking to them, having conversations with them in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in community, health club, wherever you go, baseball game. He says, then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, which they do all the time, we are, folks, for many people, we're like the Taliban to them. We're the bad guys. We're out to, you know, imprison everybody and shove our beliefs on them and take over their lives and make their lives miserable. That's what they think. Many people think that about us. He says, they're going to accuse you of all sorts of things. The early Christians were accused of all sorts of things, too. I mean, it was crazy how much they were accused of. They were accused of Atheism and immorality and superstition and dishonesty and incest, rebellion, disloyalty, treason, arson, and cannibalism. Other than that, they all loved the Christians, you know? <laughs> but if you have this good life, it contradicts that narrative. It contradicts those stereotypes. He says, they might accuse you of doing wrong, but they're going to see your honorable behavior. The word honorable is simply good or beautiful. Your, your, your way you live your life is a good life. It's a beautiful life. It differs from everybody else in the way of the kindness and compassion and truth and honesty. You're not like everybody else. It says they will give honor to God on the day of visitation. This day of visitation, some people think it's like the second coming. That's possible, but I think it's more likely. Day of visitation, throughout Old and New Testaments, is just when God shows up. So what happens is they have these ideas about you, but you live a good life that contradicts their stereotypes and they open up their hearts, it builds this goodwill, and then some, somehow God visits them and says, can I come in? And if the Holy Spirit is working, they'll open their hearts and say yes to, to him, his invitation, his visitation. Your transformed lifestyle can have a remarkable impact. What made the difference in my life? You know, I was a good church-going kid in a lot of ways. I had these neighbors. Here they are. Bill and Charlene Mellencamp. Here they are. These were my neighbors. Um, he was my dad's age. She was my mom's age, Bill and Charlene. And um, 
But I, I, I knew them. They lived as our neighbors, and I knew them. He was also my high school math teacher. By the way, Mellencamp, he's, he's like cousins to John Mellencamp, you know, that guy. So all, all from Jackson County, Indiana. And, uh, but I, knew, I knew, knew that Bill and Charlene were Jesus people. You know, I thought of them, they're like those fanatics that, you know, try to shove their faith down your throat. That's what I thought of them. And they're really serious about talking about Jesus and all that kind of stuff. At least that's what I'd heard. And so I just kept my distance. One day I was walking down the street, though, and I had a baseball glove in my hand and a baseball in the other hand. You know, I love baseball. I told you that. And Bill, my neighbor, shouts out to me, hey, Quentin, you want to play baseball? And I said, oh, He's one of, I'm saying to myself, he's one of those Jesus people. I don't know if I want to play baseball with a Jesus person. But my dad was gone. And I really like baseball. And so I said yes. And Bill and I went in his yard and threw the baseball back and forth. And the next day, I did the same thing. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and I got, all of our kids were the same age. We knew each other. We got, I, I was treated as part of the family. Charlene treated me as, as if I was a member of the family. We were poor. We were seven kids. She, I'd say, here's a $2. Could you get me something at a garage sale? She'd go out and bring out this big mound of clothing for me. I knew she spent a lot more than $2. But she just loved me because she knew I needed it. They'd invite me over for dinner and have me for picnics. And he got me a summer job and... It's like, oh, these Jesus people, they're just killing me with kindness. <laughs> and it started to wear me down. They never said a word, any bad word about anything that I believed. I never remember Bill or Charlene ever giving me a presentation of any kind. They just talked about stuff and about life. And we threw the baseball back and forth. And over time, we didn't just talk about baseball. We talked about life and the community and we talked about school and about girls and we talked about about faith and about God and about Jesus and eventually we talked about this good news gospel and over time I was just being drawn in and I found out they actually weren't weirdos they were like normal people who just really loved their neighbors a lot and they were just normal people they were like my second mom and dad. And after two years of this relentless kindness, I finally said, okay, I give up. If the worst thing that could happen to me by fully trusting in Jesus Christ, knowing I can never earn my way to heaven, but fully trusting in his grace, because I knew the law of God, but I didn't understand the love of God. I said, if the worst thing that could happen to me, would I would become a lot more like Bill and Charlene Mel in camp. You know, that would be a pretty awesome thing because they're about the most amazing people I have ever met. They weren't pastors, they weren't missionaries, they were school teachers. And on, when I was 18 years old, I crossed that line of faith and I trusted in Jesus and never looked back. We kept in touch all through the years. It was amazing. A really good life is a really good influence. Now quickly, Here's the principle at work here. We do good works to build goodwill. They trust us more. They understand better what we're about. They, we build trust with people. We become good neighbors then. 
We're not just strangers. We actually know one another. We care for one another. We talk to one another. This is a workplace, community, wherever. And then God opens up an opportunity when we can share the good news of Jesus. We do good works, we build goodwill, we become good neighbors, and we share good news. This is what we do at our church, Valley Church. We just do this relentlessly over and over and over again. We just keep doing that with all people. And there's all sorts of ways you can do that as an individual and also as a church. I mean, some, I'll just give you a couple of examples. One thing that we encourage our folks, folks to do at our church is to have block parties. In fact, we bought a trailer and filled it full of block party stuff. Like we have two or three inflatable bounce houses in there and there's a music system and there's a bunch of carnival games in there and we just, uh, tables and chairs and fun stuff for kids and we just pack it all in there and you can reserve it. Anybody in the church can reserve it and then they just host a block party. And everyone in the neighbor who's been thinking about having a block party but never did, then you become the person that's the neighborhood neighbor that gathers everybody and then they all come you don't have to hand out literature or you know ask them weird questions they just say why are you doing this and you say well you know our church encourages this why does your church encourage this well because jesus taught the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbors yourself and if it's like top two on his list it's like we better get after this a little bit better so we just want to be good neighbors and every year we do that with five thousand six thousand people Outside, by the way, it's, we have a, there's about 3,500 people in our church family, not 35,000, that was said earlier. Um, I, I would love that to be the truth, but it's, it's, uh, it's not. Um, here's, the, here's what it says. Live an exemplary life among the locals so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he visits. That's what I'm talking about. You see, they're gonna accuse you of doing wrong. They are. We, for some people, we are the bad guys. And what do you do when that happens? Like another great theologian, Taylor Swift once said, <laughs> the hater's gonna hate, 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 hate. I'm just gonna shake, 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 shake. I shake it off, shake it off. Woohoo! right? That's what we do. And we can overcome those stereotypes and the last thing I'll say, it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort. On that day, some of them will give honor and glory in their hearts, true praise to God because you invested in their life. You made time for them. Okay, I'm closing this thing out. Um, about 10 years ago, I was in India and uh, I got a, call, a phone call from my wife, the awesome Ruth Steve. And she said, Quentin, you better sit down. I've got some bad news. And I said, okay. I said, what is it? And she said, Bill and Charlene um, have, uh, have been in an auto accident and Charlene has been killed. And Bill is, is in the hospital, he's hanging on. I immediately got on a plane from India, went to Indiana, went in there, saw Bill, talked with him, told him how much I loved him and cared for him. I was asked to speak at, at, at Charlene's funeral. I told the incredible difference she had made in my life by being this wonderful neighbor. And, and I went home. And about three or four weeks later, I just felt this compulsion. It's like, no, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it's like, you gotta go see Bill today. And I got in my car and I drove all 500 miles to Indianapolis. And I walked in to Bill he was, he was near death. I didn't know that, but he was. And, uh, and on that day, I gave him a baseball. I said, 
Bill, it all began here. It all began with you asking me to play baseball. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for changing my life forever and eternity. And I wrote on there to a Hall of Famer for sure, my friend Bill. And I gave him that baseball. And we hugged and we prayed and we loved each other. And I got in my car and I drove back. And when I got home, the next day they said, Bill Mellencamp has gone to be with the Lord. I came to his, back to do his celebration of life. And I said, there is no person in my life who has made more difference in my spiritual walk than my neighbor, Bill Mellencamp. Wouldn't you like that to be true of someone when, you, when your day comes and they're having your celebration of life? Wouldn't you at least like one person to say, you know, this person made a huge impact in my life, spiritually and for eternity. I know you want that. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for all the wonderful people here at First Free. I pray that you'll bless them. Pour your Holy Spirit out upon them in, in abundance. Help them to know your goodness. Shine your light on them. Lift hearts that are hurting. Uh, stir hearts that are complacent. Uh, inspire hearts that, that want to jump in and, and get more involved in, in loving their neighbors. And Lord, I pray that you will take this church as individuals and as a group and sprinkle them and scatter them like you did in the first century as strangers and yet become neighbors to the people around them and love them deeply to see many, many more people come to faith in Jesus Christ through the good news. And Father, if there's even one person here who says, you know, I, I need to know Jesus. I, I want what, what we're talking about today. I pray, oh God, that they would themselves say, it's time for me. God is visiting me today. And draw them to trust in you fully. Draw them to say, I want to be, I want to be forgiven. I want to be rescued. And you can do that in their hearts this moment. Would you do that? And thank you for your word today. It's so powerful. And all God's people agreed and said, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for having me.